everybody. It's Jamie Lee Sampson. And Andrew Martin-Smith. And we are doing a Lexical Tones Takeover episode. So we recently asked our social media network to generate questions for us based upon the following criteria. If you could ask a composer couple one question, then what would it be? All right. So uh, first question, I think we should dive right in, is why do you feel this topic, um, talking about a Q&A with married composers is a topic of interest? Uh, I think, boy, that's a good question to start well, out with, isn't it? I mean, this was your idea. So this is, I'm, I'm really glad that you are answering this question first. <laughs> really, this was my idea? I think yeah. I, I think I forgot about that. Um, that's not abnormal. That's good to know. Um, so obviously, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it, it touches on a, a personal level for, for both of us, since we happen to fulfill this particular topic. Um, really? Yeah, I know. The, Actually, people may not know. Oh, that we're married? Yeah. Somebody just asked me yesterday about why we have different last names. Oh, I, uh, yeah, that's fair. Maybe, maybe that maybe that plays maybe we in. should start with that. <laughs> Hi everyone, we're married. That's awkward. I think that's awkward. I don't I don't introduce ourselves that way. <laughs> well, this is part of our charm. Yeah, would we uh, call would we call that charm? Well, I'm gonna call it charm on my behalf. You can call it whatever you want. <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, but the idea, uh, I, I guess. At a number of different like public concerts or events or conferences, um, people have, I don't know, been seen us as a curiosity. The the idea of uh, a married couple of composers. Uh, and we're certainly not the first married uh, or or associated. Uh, composers in history. There have been several notable examples, um, including several contemporaries. We're we're also not the most visible of these <laughs> folks. Um, so the idea that it's it's a bit of a curiosity and an oddity, I think, kind of just sparked this interest uh, in answering maybe some questions that folks have about this circumstance and scenario. Definitely. Yeah, I think the weirdest one we've gotten. And I'm going to apologize right now. That little thudding in the background is because we have a very tiny cat who thinks she deserves to be on the Lexical Tones podcast. She thinks she's enormous. It's hilarious. She's eight pounds. <laughs> dripping wet. She, you will probably hear her cry very soon. Anyways, um, but I think uh, it surprised us at first. No, I think that's fair. I think the first time we got a question about that, it took us off guard. I don't think it was a it, question the it first took time me either. Off guard. I think it was a. I think it was a. An observation. This is a horrible idea. You shouldn't do this. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't there. This was a person just talking to Andrew after a concert, and they're like, "That's a that's a terrible idea." <laughs> I don't think we were were we married yet. No. I think we were engaged. Yes. Um, and it wasn't like we were gonna change our minds based on one post concert comment so um it, that is not why i didn't change my name either so us us being married composers has very little to do with with how we actually function in day-to-day -day life i think um but it being an oddity is is certainly a good <laughs> reason to have a discussion like this i don't know I'm, i mean uh in some ways i think it's interesting 
it's part of the the human element of <laughs> composition, at least in our circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, interesting is a good word for it. Um. All right, I'm gonna ask question number two here, if you don't mind. Sure. Are you ready for question? Two? I'm. I'm ready for question number two. All right. Question number two is: Do you ever envy the success of your spouse? Man, where did these questions come from? Um, do I ever envy the success of my spouse? Uh, uh, no, no, I don't envy the success of my spouse. Um, I think there are times where I envy your energy and ability to 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 well well to submit to a lot of things. First of all, you you submit to way more. Uh, opportunities and calls and competitions and things than I do. Uh, full disclosure, um, and that is exhausting for me to think about and attempt to keep up with at times. But no, I don't. I don't envy you your success. I think I, I celebrate it. That's funny. I have a different answer. I imagine you do, <laughs> <laughs> um, because I feel like the. Um, <laughs> What's that face about? <laughs> well, well, I'm just thinking. Uh, uh, yes, you. Of course, you have a different answer because you're a different person, and mm-hmm. that's funny too. Because some people treat us uh, as the same. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we yeah. are in fact different people. Yeah. No. Though I mean, I I do get because I submit to a lot of call for scores, um, grant opportunities. Um, I, I've lost track of everything I've submitted to in the past year. Sometimes uh, it feels like you your successes pop up in unexpected places, and I have a hard time handling those. And I do have to, like, full disclosure, when he got hired to work summers at Interlochen, uh, the only color I saw for a month was green. <laughs> and um, it's turned out to be an amazing opportunity, and I think of the... You've been there four summers so far? I think so, yes. I think yes. the first one was the only time I didn't have some professional composition... I didn't have something professional going on in the composition realm. I was working. I, I'm going to edit that. This will be the fourth summer, I think. Really? 2015 was my first summer. You're right. So this will be this will be okay. All right. So the second summer, I got to go uh, speak at the International Double Read Society conference when it was in uh, Georgia, and I followed that immediately with a trip to Eastman to do a lecture for the new bassoon workshop that Darken the Song runs. Um, And so you know that summer was busy. Last summer was the first year I worked for Soundscape, and so there's been like there's been a lot going on since then. But I think the summer I had to stay home with the cats, like not being jealous of that opportunity would have been impossible for most people. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I would like to think so anyways. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I am I am jealous under certain certain circumstances, not all of them, because I think you and I have worked really hard to find different audiences for our music. Um, And that's where. You know, the oddity of being a married composer couple kind of comes in is that we're not writing for the same purpose and the same people every time. There are people who love your music and there are people who love mine. And then there's a Venn diagram overlap. And that's um, 
not necessarily most of the two circles. It's a small part. And that's what I love about the way we've done this is that we have different opportunities, but they're all good opportunities. So we have another question here. Um, what is the biggest challenge you face living with another creative? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, there, there are two sides of the jealousy thing. One is professional jealousy and the other is, is kind of personal. And that is sometimes I feel like you get more time to compose <laughs> uninterrupted. Um, and that may have to do with your focus levels and when you choose to compose and what I allow to disrupt me from composing, even if it's your stomach rumbling. Um, <laughs> that happens frequently. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I find myself getting, um, pulled in many directions frequently and I think all of us do to some extent but I let that I often let that disrupt my composing time and that's that's I'm just gonna let everybody know that Andrew finished like three pieces over our holiday break between semesters and I was looking at like five projects that looked amazing but none of them were complete <laughs> by the end of that break and so when he hit his third double bar I was like I'm going to hit some kind of bar tonight, but it is not a double one. <laughs> I think, I think I have to be, um, more protective in some cases. And that leads to frustrating interactions sometimes because I don't exactly tell you you're getting more composing time. Leave me alone. Or you're getting more composing time. Tell other people to leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fair. I don't put that on you. I don't think. Most, no, no, I don't. Most of the time. Sometimes you adopt it as your problem. No, that's fair. Uh, God, what was the question? What is the biggest challenge you face living with another creative? You had time to think about these. Oh, I well, I was I was very fascinated with what you were saying. So oh. so now I've done the same thing that I do in restaurants when I look at a menu. I'm, am I actually am I actually deciding, or am I just making more work for myself? He ends up I, reading mine. It always looks better from that perspective. Yes. Um, so the biggest challenge might be might actually lie a little bit in what you're talking about, not not having a lack of of uh, time to create or, or not having that, that focused time that, that I set aside to create, but um, maybe dealing with the, the bleed over the emotional or, or uh, sonic or what have you, oh, yeah. yeah, bleed over from, from one to the other. So very often I find that, um, and this is probably true for you too, but very often I find that my mood about a certain thing or a certain type of sound or a certain type of style or the piece that I'm writing is colored by the interaction that we previously had. That, I, that's kind of difficult. Actually, I remember a day that I was reading a book that I was trying to get, um, I was trying to use it for motivation for a piece, but the husband in the book was being just an outright asshole. And I treated you like crap that night. 
Was I confused? I can't. I don't even <laughs> you remember. You probably so. <laughs> were. I was in just such a bad mood, and like no, no one could do right. No man was doing anything right, but you were the only one in the in the house, and so I took it out on you. It seems like bad timing. And and. <laughs> You probably asked me a really simple question, and I remember snapping at you, and you just looked bewildered, and that was when I figured out, like, I was bringing too much, um, (laughs) I was bringing too much Jodie P. Colt out of the book and into the real world. (laughs) Well, that's, that's actually really funny, because I think, um, is that part of, like, the artistic empathy of things, or, or various artists tend to reflect the world around them? Uh, they say art, they, the, the, uh, the vox populi, the, the, <laughs> the uh, ambiguous folk, apparently, talk about this idea that art reflects life, and then we get those fun things, art reflecting life, reflecting art, etc. Um, I do think there is a little bit of a of uh, being working in close proximity with any artist there's always compromise and give and take and this this uh coming to some kind of common ground um when working on projects but when you are very closely associated with another artist and you're working on separate things i still think there's a little bit of um a little bit of this Reentry. Well, uh, I was going to say cross contamination of ideas okay. and and yeah. and uh, feelings. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, mine is that when I get into a composing space, I try and get into a specific headspace. Mm-hmm. And when I leave it, I I have too much going on to carry it with me throughout the day you know my students headspace has to be considered and my um co-administrators for the projects i'm working on um and businesses we run and um and so to treat all of the rest of you fairly you know i what i really work on composing wise is getting into and out of that headspace and so it is kind of a re-entry for me i try not to cross-contaminate because um i think it's I think it's unfair to hold everybody else hostage to my compositions and whatever's going on there. You're well, looking at me sort of bewildered. Well, no, I wish ca- everybody could see it. I yeah. should take a picture. Well, I have a new I have a new answer for that envious question then because I'm envious of that uh, that ability. That I think that it really is the greatest challenge for me is that is being able to separate that space. I don't think I do it as well as you. I know you don't. I'm a, I'm, wow. No, no, it's it's not that. Um, you know, like we were setting up. So, like, fair warning. This is like podcast. Is it? Are we on three of this week yet? I think so. Um, we're reco- This is our spring break, so we're recording a lot of podcasts, both for Lexical Tones and others, and others, and um, and a lot of them have been about you know. Um, women in music since International Women's Day. By the time you hear this, it won't have been last week. But right now, while we're recording, International Women's Day was last week. We did a big panel discussion at SUNY Fredonia. We uh, did a lexical tones recording. And, um, you know, a lot of this has been talking about the way you and I worked together or not together um, and recognizing differences of strengths and weaknesses. And... um, Jen Jolly was in town for that discussion, and before we recorded, 
the Lexical Tones podcast on uh, on women in music and uh, diversity in programming, she and I uh, went to Starbucks and and you were we went to Starbucks because you were in a mood <laughs> and you have a very specific focus when you know you need to do something like set up the recording equipment and there's really no breaking you out of it and that's I see that bleed over in more areas of your life like we run a business together adjective is was co-started by the two of us and when you're in business mode you don't turn it off and it bleeds into marriage sometimes in ways that I'm like you know I'm not gonna win this battle if I tell you that you're not you're not like in the right frame of mind to have a discussion about groceries if you're still thinking about all of the um, editing you have to do tonight on a score or the printing you need to do for um, an order. Um, it's just I recognize when you're not there and I kind of take responsibility for um, for smoothing over the boundaries between marriage business artists. This whole big mess. Well, since I asked the challenge question, yeah, uh, I'd like to follow that up with another one of our uh, questions from social media. What do you find most advantageous about being involved professionally with your spouse? <laughs> I really hope that meow makes it. Was yeah, that was registers. really nice. This is a good job, Prim. You have a beautiful singing <laughs> voice. Um. Okay, so that that's pretty easy for me because uh, because you're a guy, you're a white guy, yes, in a field where it's advantageous to be so, and sometimes I use that to my own advantage. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, follow up. So how? <laughs> um, I don't think I've I've exactly kept track of my methods over the years, and and. To be precise, I don't think I've ever used you in a way that got me more performances. Um, Probably related to that Venn diagram we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's different audiences, and and I feel a little anti-feminist saying this, and, I, and maybe it's just because I'm super cautious lately about what I feel is feminist and what I don't. Mm. There are there are multiple divides in what people consider feminism right now, and I'm a cautious feminist. I think I want equal representation, but I am. I don't think I'm the most in-your-face person about it. Is cautious the word, or is it pragmatic? Is that also bad? What? What? I think there are pros and cons to every term that I might put a label on. Fair. Put it this way: I wish, uh, I and I've said this really recently in the in the past couple weeks here. I feel like I've said it a lot. I wish I didn't have to worry about gender. But since it is still a huge issue in our industry, it would be unfair to ignore it. It would be unfair to my students. It would be unfair to me. Um, it, it, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm not saying that I have used you to my advantage in, in a way that's kind of hanky to bring out one of my favorite words. But I do think that uh, it is easier for you to be visible and to be visible as a person that people want to work with. And so standing next to you sometimes is like, yeah, okay. Guilt by association. <laughs> Hi, I mean, guilt is not the right word. Um, visible by association. Um, and then, you know, I wear bright colors and make sure that people can see me too. And I'm in general just a whole lot louder than you. <laughs> That's fair. 
I laugh louder. I I get in your face about not yours specifically, but I get in people's faces about um, issues that matter to me. Visibility being one of them, and I don't think I would be as visible if we didn't get married when we did. Because I was always like the bossy girl in high school. And I don't think I've changed much about my personality, but I'm no longer the bossy girl. I'm the woman who takes charge. Hmm. You look like you disagree. No, no, no. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm finding this rather interesting. And, uh, you know, for, for people listening to this, it might seem weird that I'm making that comment. Oh, I like, like we haven't sit around talking about this but to be fair we haven't sit around talking about these things this is this is not usually what we do on a you know uh a given morning is sit down and and ask why <laughs> or or how all this works i don't think we usually have much time to do that. yeah we're we're we're, we, we're doing other things yep um, or we're completely exhausted and he falls asleep <laughs> yeah yeah at, at Far too early hours for some of us, apparently. We're going to get to that later. Um, the, idea, <laughs> the idea, though, that, uh, that you find being in a relationship with me, for whatever circumstance, has uh, created more visibility uh, for you. I find that really interesting because I feel like being in a relationship with you has created more <laughs> visibility for me. So this, is, this, this might be actually... Um, Feedback loop. Yeah, but and maybe for different reasons, or, or, or we're perceiving that there are different reasons for this. No, I think I agree with you, because I used the visibility that I was able to get as a younger professional to get visibility on my own, hmm. and then you can play off of that, and it kind of keeps climbing. Uh, yeah, and I think in your description, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, in, in in your... Fair. <laughs> in uh, marriage. <laughs> Um, it was going to happen eventually. <laughs> in, uh, ta-da, in your earlier, in, in what you said before, um, you've talked about how you are a little more of an extroverted introvert, if, if I can use that. I don't think I've said that yet, but yeah. Well, well you've been talking about your loudness. My loudness, and yeah. So, and so if, I, if I'm allowed to use that introverted, or ec- extroverted introverted yeah, I'm on, I'm like on the on the line there. I I like being around people. I like I'm just going to say this. I like attention. I like to keep that in check because I know how often artists turn into narcissists and I'm fighting against that tooth and nail with myself. Um but I like being an extrovert until I need to be an introvert. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I hate being extroverted. <laughs> and and many of my students that I have or or many maybe many people that know me in public are always taken back by taken aback by that. They they're, they're class, almost shocked. Your your oral skills, music theory, composite like the larger classes. I don't think any of your private students would be surprised. Okay. Because one on one you can be you you exude introvert. 
but none of us know how you teach 8 a.m. RL skills, the RL skills four, let's say, without coffee, and you're still bounding around the room in a Cookie Monster blue shirt, and all of us are just staring there uh, at you. Like there's there's windows outside that classroom. There and, are. And one yes. of these days, you know, me and a few of my coworkers are just gonna stand there with our espresso, and watch <laughs> the spectacle that goes on. <laughs> Well, I mean, I do believe wholeheartedly that teaching is a performance art. Um, and, and so while I'm educating, to some degree, I feel that I am putting on a show. But that's exhausting for me because if I had my way, I would be completely introverted. And so the idea that I'm by your side at conferences and festivals and concerts and things, and, and uh, in, in some cases, you are insistent about our appearance um in 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 sir at certain points in the day when i just you know it's past my bedtime (laughs) actually this is never more evident than when you go to interlochen for six weeks oh because they have a tighter teaching schedule than we do Mm -hmm. our college classes are spread out monday wednesday friday or tuesday thursday we sometimes have breaks in between them um and uh and when you get to interlocking, you teach like four hours a day and sometimes with very minimal breaks. So by two o'clock in the afternoon, right after you've had lunch, I know if I try to call you then, you are asleep. <laughs> I'm predictable. Like I have a schedule. <laughs> um, and, and it's gotten, it's actually, it's gotten worse the more you've no, no, I believe it. I believe it. The last summer, you know, there's a six hour time difference. So like... Because you were in Italy. Because yeah. I was in Italy. And so like trying to catch you while you were awake and fed. And I was not staying up until two to try and catch... Well, it was... It was... Uh, it was interesting. So yeah, no, you don't keep yourself in check with, with the, the naps at interlocking. That's funny. <laughs> But, but, you know, I do feel, back to the, this question about what's most amb- advantageous, oh, yeah. right. I definitely think that has been an advantage for me. And I, and I think back to how my grandparents, um, my maternal grandparents had their own business for 42 years and, and they were co-owners. I mean, it was, it was their business. And my grandmother was um, the public interface mm-hmm. um, and she was out front. She still kind of is. She still kind of <laughs> is. And, and my grandfather was all the behind the scenes kind mm-hmm. of logistics. Uh, and I feel in some ways, in some ways, we are kind of tapping into each other's strengths on, in, that, in that same kind of way. Uh, where one of us has strengths maybe that are more extroverted and uh, others are more introverted and uh, those are leveraged to I think our greatest advantage and I think well we've we've noticed I think several effects of that being the case uh, in several circumstances I mean in, in grad school orientation the fact that we kind of came as a package deal um, mm-hmm. we were, we were already a group of musicians Jeez. together, right? That, that <laughs> other folks musicians. saw, uh, and for whatever reason, people were more willing to kind of aggregate around, oh, there, there's people that already know each other. Let's kind of introduce yeah. ourselves. That, yeah, that's so weird. We found ourselves at one, uh, table. All of a sudden there were eight musicians around us and it was like a wild phenomenon. We had no idea why we were the center and I think it really was like all of us were new and alone and um even though you and I had each other most 
most people don't know, I had some severe separation anxiety when we moved to Bowling Green. And so even though I we moved there as a pair of fiancés, I, I, had, I had never felt more alone. And I don't think you really knew how to deal with that either. Sorry. Sorry about, yeah, a lot of that. But it was just, you know, kind of comforting to everyone who ended up in that table of eight that there were already connections forming. So I think there is uh, another benefit uh, to, to having a relationship or, or a close working relationship with your, with your spouse in this particular case. Uh, and you bring this up all the time, I think, the idea of a sounding board. Yeah, yeah I do. So this is something you, that you find that you like. Uh, most of the time, yeah. I think okay. it, was, it was particularly helpful after grad school. Um, I think I found, so I graduated before you did. Yeah. Um, I did not go through a doctoral, pro- doctoral program. I stopped at two master's degrees, which was more than enough for me that year. Um, and I did a little too much at the end of my degrees. This isn't an unfamiliar story to some. I, I had, I did apply to doctoral programs and between applying to doctoral programs, having an opera premiere, giving my master's recital on bassoon, and there was probably one more thing that happened in there that I'm forgetting about. I, I burned out pretty hard at the end of my master's degree. And so I stopped everything musical for about uh, six weeks hmm. after I graduated. Um, actually, I don't even think it started when I graduated. I, as soon as my last concert was done, like, my recital finished, and I had one concert after that, and all my classes were pretty much wrapped up, and I... And your master's defense was done, all my that, My master's yeah. defense mm-hmm. was done, and I think I scared you because I really didn't get off the couch much, other than to go to rehearsal for this last concert that I had. And then graduation passed, and um, speaking of the introverted side of me, I didn't walk in this ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so there was no pomp, there was no circumstances... Uh, um, there was no fanfare fanfare at mm. the end of my um, degree. And so I kind of felt like nothing mattered. And uh, I was stuck in this vacuum. So um, we laugh that now, that it, but it got so bad that I, like, I read Twilight, all four books, like four times in a month. Just I'd, I'd get to the end and start over again. And they're just not well written. I mean, I, re- I read much better books on a more regular basis, but it just got really dark for a couple of weeks there. So I did nothing musical. I sat on the couch. Um, There was one hair-raising day where you asked me if I was going to ever get off the couch and get a job. Yeah, I don't know whether or not I phrased it quite like that, but... That's what it uh, felt like you did. And and boy, that was a bad idea. It was a memorable reaction, (laughs) let's put it that way. Um, But eventually I did. I got off the couch and I got seven part-time jobs. Yep. Because uh, we lived in a a right-to-work state and I couldn't get insurance in a lot of ways and I didn't get enough hours anywhere so I would just you know work 16 hours at staple over Thursday night Friday night Saturday night and Sunday afternoon and I was something to behold by Sunday at the end of my shift (laughs) 
Um, but I also taught at junior highs and uh, I taught bassoon like one hour a week at a local junior high. And I had private students and I worked with the youth orchestras in the area and, 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 and. Um, so while I was getting all of that in order, I really had like a period of six weeks where I didn't care what I did musically because we needed to eat and you eat a lot as previously mentioned and I'm sure will be mentioned again by the way he's the skinniest person I know um <laughs> not entirely true he eats a cookie and I gain the weight um, <laughs> um but I had to not care about composition but when I came back to it I'd never been in a circumstance where I didn't have weekly feedback or weekly um, propulsion to get stuff done because someone was always checking on me once a week in my composition lessons. Mm. And that structure was amazing for me as a student. It taught me how to work. It taught me how to balance. Um, and I got pretty good at it by the end of undergrad. So when we went to grad school, I was actually able to take the night off before my lessons. I had Friday morning lessons and for three hours every Thursday night, I did nothing musical, nothing at all. I did no work. Um, and it was because it was a guarded night with a couple of my friends. We would get together, we would have wine, we would have chocolate cake, quite literally. Um, and we would watch television and talk about everything that was going on. And I needed that relief valve because we are in a male dominated field and these two people knew exactly what was going on. And so it was just relaxing to get together and not have to worry. But I remember one of them asking, uh, what on earth I was doing on a Thursday uh, night, the night before my lesson, not composing, not binge composing because I hadn't done it. And I was like, well, that's never, that's not a problem for me. This year, it wasn't a problem th for me through most of grad school because I had really set up the structure that I was anticipating a weekly review. And so graduating, all of a sudden you're in a vacuum. You've usually culminated some enormous project. You've had it performed, which is stress and anxiety of an entirely different sort. Um, and and you, you put yourself through your paces in so many ways to finish a degree program. And then there's nothing. And that could have, it does in a lot of cases, it ends composition careers. It ends music, musicians' careers. And I started composing before I started playing bassoon again. Bassoon I'd really like, Burned out, done, which is weird because I think I had more going on composition wise, but um, I came back to composing within six weeks and it took me almost six months to come back to bassoon playing. And when I came back to composing, I was like, I have no direction. Nobody needs a piece from me. I don't have a teacher who says, hey, you need a percussion quartet in your catalog, which by the way, I still need a percussion quartet in my catalog. So um, <laughs> so I, I don't always give myself the best advice, but I had zero direction. And so I wrote a piece that to this day still hasn't been performed. I just sat down and wrote something and um, it was useful, but maybe not the most well-advised thing for me to do. And so we started checking in and, and actually challenging one another. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Okay, so so I think, I, I don't remember who came up with this idea of doing composition challenges. Well, and you know I wouldn't. I don't, I don't remember things. <laughs> he does have a nickname when he forgets something. Hi, I'm Dory. He is Dory. <laughs> but we would uh, challenge each other to write pieces. Um... 
in areas in areas that we thought were weaknesses. And I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to think of one of the pieces. Like, there was a trumpet and organ piece that we were both supposed to write, and you finished and I didn't. Mm. Um, but that was so long ago now, like, I don't remember. Well, I think, and some of the, some of the if I'm remembering correctly, some of the, the challenges were uh, instrumentation specific, but some of them were just, you know, write, write a set of miniatures with this harmony or, you know, it was, those are some things that stick in my mm-hmm. mind for whatever reason. Yeah. But that, uh, kind of check-in and challenge mentality got me through to my first commission after grad school. Hmm. And then that one, that was, that was the body electric for a solo soprano that Amanda DeVore Bartlett asked me to write. Mm-hmm. And that propelled the next commission and that next commission propelled the next one. And it it really, it didn't slow down for a while. It didn't slow down until I was working full time and teaching 12 hours a week. Mm. And then commissions had to slow down so that we could eat. And then now I'm just starting to get back into a spot where I can, I have the availability in my schedule to do stuff like that. But but yeah, without that initial um, sounding board hey, will you look at this score? Something seems hinky here. That's the second time I've used hinky today. It is. We're, um, we're counting. The tally okay. has started. All right. Let's start counting the Two. hinkies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, that turned into a huge part of our business. As you're, you're one of our... Uh, you are probably the primary editor, I would call you, <laughs> uh, for adjective because you're such a stickler for notation conventions. And... Um, and grammatical conventions. <laughs> the fact that we didn't get divorced when we edited contemporary techniques for the bassoon multiphonics. That was probably the most intense month of our marriage was editing. It, yeah. Editing under under a deadline too. Like it was rapid fire. Every draft was one after the other after the other after the other, and I was so frustrated. <laughs> yeah, if anything is going to convince me that there are miracles, uh, it would be the fact that I'm alive. Yeah. I <laughs> after, have killed af- you after that process. <laughs> I would have taken the cats. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> um. Are there any other advantages that? you want to bring up no i think actually we had a healthy discussion that was a healthy answer to that question i think (laughs) so we're on like question five now aren't we sure okay i don't know (laughs) i'm holding the paper um (laughs) yeah so question five is how has your body of creative work changed over the years as a result of your relationship oh Oh, man. Remember what I was talking about, that cross-contamination thing? Um, actually, this is, a, this is a really good and fair and somewhat astute question, I, I think, because, of course, no art is created in a vacuum. That's, that's a given. Um, but I have to say, uh, as you just mentioned, I am a little meticulous. And I think of... A little. Of, that's yeah, cute. A little. Um, a, t- a wee bit, as they would say. Uh, the, I am rather meticulous about things, especially with regard to structure and, and just, I, I, for a time would obsess over all of the musical layers and all of the minutia and, you know, everything had to be there in some kind of algorithmic, uh, uh, or, or fixed 
predictable kind of format, uh, uh, for lack of a better term in this moment, as I'm searching for one. Um, And I think the spontaneity that you bring to this this relationship... (laughs) I think has found its way into into kind of my creative process and also into the works themselves that I that I create. I I, I don't think my um, affinity for aleatoric music, creating those types of things, really would be as uh, permeating as they are currently. If if I hadn't been in close proximity to you, uh, developing and creating musically. Hmm. That's interesting. You in the middle of there, I I thought of a phrase like you you were talking about your meticulous attention to all of the layers of information, and it just made me recall. <laughs> I I often use the phrase with you: "Perfect is the enemy of done." Yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you ha- you have an affinity for for finding that perfection, which is an impossible task, <laughs> and. Uh, I think we keep we keep coming back to like so so I think I think striving toward I haven't found it yet clearly <laughs> well, has anyone has anyone really I don't know yeah 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 <laughs> um, I mean because perfect is the enemy of done is one of my favorite phrases but one of your favorite phrases is um is is an analogy to poetry <laughs> poems are never finished they're abandoned yeah um, and this idea that you know the piece can we can edit this piece until we attempt perfection but i don't think we're ever going to truly find it so we just like release the piece into the universe and there we go it is it is out in the world to be performed but it's uh not your idea of perfection so that's interesting but anyway um so my work has changed in some pretty specific ways. Uh, I think I think it's really advantageous for every composer to teach the full music theory curriculum to better, to have a deeper understanding of it. Passing the classes is one thing, but actually learning it well enough to teach it to the 20 innocent faces that are staring at you every Tuesday and Thursday, that's an entirely different beast. And... Um, and unfortunately, uh, I mean, or fortunately, I mean, my, my graduate assistantship was at the library. I was um, a teaching assistant in the fall and then a graduate supervisor in the spring. And so, you know, I know how to, I know how to research, which is great for my focus area. I am a researcher. Um, but researching doesn't necessarily improve my composition skills. And so for a while, I have relied on your knowledge of music theory education oh dear (laughs) and your conversations about what you're teaching your students to better inform the way i'm composing and now this past year i've finally been able to teach the classes and i have to put all of this information in a in it in its place in a different way but that's all through the filter of knowing the way you think about harmony from both a classical and contemporary standpoint Mm. Um, your classes on contemporary counterpoint were just like I, I can't even I hadn't even thought about going through some of the work that you had done 
for the class, let alone my own composing skills. And so I have now like a lot of side exercises that I do that don't have to do with my pieces necessarily, but strengthening my harmonic um, language and better understanding uh, set theory because I, I, I've, I've gotten it. I get it. But I don't always have the proper terms. And that's not necessary every single day when you're composing and you're working through. But it is necessary when you're standing up in front of your Theory 4 class and they trust you to not screw them up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I think think in a lot of ways that has to do with um, (laughs) the cross-pollination thing. Again, yeah, is that my my technical writing has... um, become a bigger focus area for me whereas when I was a student I largely focused on the emotional side of writing because I like to focus on the emotions that music can portray and communicate but uh, it's not always that it's not always give you the technical skills you need to convey that emotion Mm. so uh, so yeah I still find myself as uh, I still find myself practicing on a regular basis, practicing harmonic um, progressions and better counterpoint and things like that. When I really just want to go write another art song. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I should be handing you the. There you go. Oh, <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm glad I'm asking you this because oh, you have a veritable. You're gonna have it's. It, it, I hope we have more time because you're gonna have plenty <laughs> of things that you might want to bring up. But the question is, what is the most annoying thing your creative spouse does while composing? How many days do we have? Begin no. the list. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I do have a list. So when we moved into the house where we currently live in, um, we shared an office for the worst five months of my life. Yeah, big mistake. Interesting <laughs> idea. Big mistake. Um, we we actually wanted to set up a guest room, silly us. Yeah. Um, and and we like we didn't even have a second bed, so that was first like problem with that idea. <laughs> um, but the 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 house has enough uh, space. We had intentionally rented one that has an, a dedicated space for adjective music to have its score rental library and we have two gigantic printers in that room and it needed it now has acquired enough stuff <laughs> office stuff that it needed its own room and so we tried to share a creative space and I can tell you that Andrew paces while he's thinking or talking on the phone and that does not stop in the room that he started in <laughs> it often <must> encompasses travel. <laughs> it often often encompasses the entire house and he has these very very loud um slippers house shoes that he wears around that sound like bricks when you're sleeping or trying to compose mm. Or, um, yeah, anyways, uh, disruption of sound. Oh, whistling, too. I do whistle. You're whistling. I'm a, like a, I'm a drill whistler. in my ear. <laughs> I'm a whistler. I'm not a fan of whistling. I also sing, too. I'm surprised you haven't haven't brought up my caterwauling, but, but whistling I'll take. <laughs> I think the whistling is the most um, disruptive, other than the shoes. But usually the shoes, that's, that's like, I have, I have 
worked until four in the morning, fallen asleep on the couch, and at five when you get up, I hear thunk 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 thunk. Really? That's how we're doing this. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think those are those are the worst ones. Those are the capital offenses. That's yeah. that's fair. Uh, you know to. Uh, not not to excuse this behavior by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I often find that I don't know I'm doing many oh, of these all. things. <gasps> Can I tell the night? Oh, the story? man. Dinner? I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, years and years ago. <laughs> A long time ago. <laughs> Andrew had to take cops for his DMA. Yeah. <laughs> and... and Comprehensive um, exams. Comprehensive for those, yeah. exams. So it was basically four weeks of exams, right? Yes. Starts yeah. with a history exam that was something like six hours long, right? In two, three, in two parts, three, three and hours three. Three hours and yeah. three hours. Um, and that kicked off, you know, this entire month. But you had been studying for the history mm-hmm. probably the most because you tried to cover... That's fair to say. Yeah. All of music history, right? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's the night before the exam and... I had made a really simple dinner. Like, we are m- many percent Italian. <laughs> simple and delicious is spaghetti <laughs> so and meatballs. I, I, like, I made, uh, there weren't even meatballs. It was pasta and sauce. <laughs> oh, I thought it was meatballs. <laughs> no. no. See you, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we're in the middle of dinner. And, you know, I expect, I expect him to be weird for this entire month because he's so focused. And in the middle of dinner, he just stands up. And starts pacing the living room. And I finished my dinner and I just decided not to disturb him. I was going to stay in my chair <laughs> and see how long it took for him to realize. I had my phone, so I, you know, was probably perusing Facebook. You were entertained. <laughs> um, and so, you know, like a half an hour later, he looks at his cold bowl of pasta. <laughs> and he goes, oh, did I forget to eat the rest of my dinner? <laughs> And that was how most of that month went. In yeah. fact, um, you know, like after those, after those, uh, that first set of history exams were over, I fed not only you, but a couple of other doctoral students as mm-hmm. well. Um, and, uh, and that kind of became the theme of that month was I kept cooking for all of you. And at the end of it, one, one of the other people taking the exam and I had been getting together quite regularly, quite regularly to stress eat. I wasn't taking the tests. I was just stress eating along with my friends. <laughs> and so this person and I had both put on a few pounds over the course of that month. And we looked at you and you were skin and bones. And I made you stand on the scale and you had lost something like 20 pounds. It was bad. In like six weeks. It was, it was fretting about. It was, it was bad. Yeah. About this. So no, I know I completely acknowledge that you have no clue <laughs> when you're when you're pacing and whistling and maybe not the whistling. The whistling is hard for me to acknowledge you ignoring. The, well, I think the whistling is a little more deterministic. I, I'm, I'm actually like whistling or singing through wh- whatever's, yeah, yeah, whatever's in my head. But if I'm, if I'm, if I'm thinking about abstract elements of a piece, yeah, I tend to wander and just, uh, you know, take, take a walk. I have to physically move around, which can also be annoying in a, in a house with uh, squeaky floorboards. <laughs> 
So, uh, so what do you find annoying? Oh, is it, is it my turn? Yeah, it, it's it, your it can turn. be my turn. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know whether or not this annoys me. I don't think it annoys me. It just, I'm, I'm puzzled. Okay. I'm, but but maybe it's due to like like how intensely I focus on something. You have the ability to focus on on several things simultaneously. Like baseball? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but but you will be able, depending upon what the task is, to have like like uh, uh, a TV show that you've seen before on in the background oh, yeah. as yeah. as you're kind of churning through an idea or working on uh, notation or or doing what what have you. Oh, definitely. Um, or I have seen I have seen you reading several books simultaneously as you're also notating. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm always reading several books. I always, no. I'm always like, in any given month, I have three different books going on. Yeah, I know. But when I came, <laughs> when I came into, uh, you, you do, you do work better in public places too, which again, not necessarily an annoyance, just a curiosity. Like <laughs> you have an office and it's a comfortable office, I must say. Uh, <laughs> but you seem to work better on the kitchen table or on the uh mm-hmm. you know co- a, a coffee table like on the floor like, yep. the, you, or spread out on the floor which kind of makes sense given the amount of papers that we yep. we have for some of these projects um but uh, no this one time when i came into the living room a public space and and you just have all this stuff spread out but i'm looking at what you have and you have like four books open around you and the TV's on, very low, but on, in kind of the background. <laughs> and uh, one of these books is an orchestration book. That makes total sense. Okay, that's uh, One of these is a composer bio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of these is an Ian McEwan book. Oh, that's totally understandable. <laughs> I don't even remember what the fourth one is. Probably because I didn't take, like, stock and I was so overwhelmed by the... Oh, it might the have been mat- an extended technique the, book. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by the media yeah. that, that you are kind of partaking in. And you are literally bouncing back and forth between these things as as you're working. And for me, that just... I don't know if you know that. I just looked at you for a couple of minutes and turned around and went back <laughs> <I> upstairs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's understandable. Uh, no, I like, um, well, first of all, that's, that's a very, I, I don't spend a lot of time, I feel like, on, on the, <laughs> the notes and rhythms part of it where I am in public, mm. where I am not hiding in an office like the impetus of the piece the main ideas that can that become the entire piece that stuff is all very private but but once i am on a roll um notation must happen with noise (laughs) (laughs) um i find that yeah no there's definitely there's like three or four tv shows i've watched the entire series, you know, I'm probably working on my fourth time for a couple of them. Just as kind of sonic backdrop. Just as, you know, it's a familiar, it's a comforting thing, it's a noise thing. Yeah. Uh, there was never silence in my house growing up. The TV was always on. Huh. And, um, and I think I'm okay working in an active environment, but not in a very creative active environment. It's more like I driving. So I it's need not, to it's get... not creative work. This is like a work song sort this of. Is, this is yeah. This is, okay. That's a good okay. way to put it. Definitely okay. because um, you know I think there's kind of like three 
I when I talk to my students about balancing what they're doing on um, on their compositions, I talk about three distinct areas of creativity. And yes, thinking about your new piece that technically counts as composition to me. Some people call it pre-composition. I think it's it it all falls under the umbrella yeah, of. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Right. Um, and so you know the planning of the piece can't be all of your composition time during the week though you can't just come to me with okay here's what i thought about (laughs) and you know every once in a while we fail in that attempt and that's all they bring me and we talk through you know what would the form look like for this what what is the main concept did you do any melodic writing for it Mm -hmm. harmonic whatever um and then we come to what i think of as what most people think of as composing time, which is the notes, the rhythms, the orchestration, the harmony, the building of the piece. But the piece isn't done when we hit a double bar. There's this other section that happens afterwards. And some people dread that, and I love it. Because that is when I can multitask. And that is when I'm reading four books, because I need to remember to put the quote from Ian McEwen in the program notes that are above the performance notes that tell you what extended (laughs) techniques to use and oh by the way these are the only three timpani i used this one that one and this one and that's what i need the orchestration book for so i just just justified my four books wait composer biography was that oh i had i had yeah i had no idea what the fourth one was so i i concede (laughs) that you probably had a reason yeah Um, yeah but i mean it's definitely when i'm either in the daydreamy part where i'm just like oh this string quartet's gonna be about uh a mountain somewhere it's imaginary let's call it imagine i mean like there's that part i really don't need silence for that and then there's the editing part and i really don't need silence for that either it's the middle section where i'm i'm focused and usually i I don't really do that a lot at home Mm. because i need a sustain pedal and my keyboard at home doesn't currently have one (laughs) dear santa (laughs) um so yeah a lot of that happens in my office at work um and and i think you know when you find me in Starbucks and I have 80 things around me and I look like I'm working feverishly, I'm usually applying to as many competitions at once as I can because mm. I am going for a hundred rejections a year. So, um, I do <laughs> pile a lot of applications into one sitting. In fact, there are more rejection letters that I get that I'd forgotten that I entered than there are ones where I was like, Oh, I was really hoping to find out about that. Mm. I'm glad I see who they want, who, who won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's usually like, if I'm sitting in a public place, I feel a little more driven to like power through and get stuff done. So yeah, multitasking is difficult and some people say it's impossible and I've made it a habit. Well, I think, I think the people that, that say it's impossible are talking about just the, the physical ability to concentrate on, on multiple tasks simultaneously. But that's not saying you cannot have multiple tasks in operation that you, mm-hmm. that you go back and forth between. And I find that if I'm going back and forth between that many things, just something falls through the cracks. And that, inevitably. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to do like, and when I'm editing scores, I have a checklist of... Now I look for all of these things. Now I look for all of these things. And if I'm trying to do just a global, I mean, one of the bullet points on my checklist is, all right, now go back through the piece and just see if anything catches your eye. Um, 
but that's the only thing I'm yeah. again I'm I'm focusing on that kind of one task yeah. as opposed to trying to keep all of them running simultaneously. No, I have I have a hard time with that. So I don't know if that's really an annoyance of mine per se. It's just no. I'm I'm. It's an oddity of mine. It's a it's a quandary that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Not a quaffle. Not a quaffle. No, no, that's something different apparently. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think we're up to one of my questions. I think so. And I can't read your handwriting. Is that in a, that's part of the annoyance category? <laughs> Number 7, right? Oh, oh, there it is. I think okay. It's, yeah. Uh when do you find time to compose uh with another creative in quotes underfoot? Boy, these are related. I like I like this. Oh. When do I find time to compose with another Oh. Oh, that's actually easy. (laughs) (laughs) The best time to create is when the other person is not underfoot. So I I think our, at least in the last, in the last year or so, our, 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 our sleeping schedules have been marked, markedly different. (laughs) Is that the right term? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have been notably different. (laughs) I tend to be someone who feels more comfortable being active and creative early in the day, much to many people's chagrin. Uh, but but I I don't mind waking up at three thirty in the morning. Oh, dark thirty, as my aunt uh, used to say. Uh, uh, you know, if I'm up at three thirty or four in the morning, I have this this wonderful span of time where it's just me. And and nobody else is going to be maybe uh, in, intruded upon by my <laughs> my excessive uh, pacing or what or what have you, um, and so I find I'm most productive early in the morning, which is neat I think because that's the exact opposite of when you feel yeah. you're most productive. I've always been a a night time working person, a night a night owl, if you will. Um, it is not uncommon for me to stay up until four. And so there have there have been a few times where like <laughs> I, I am going to bed and and Andrew is going to get breakfast. <laughs> um, I, it's at those moments where I like to say this is this is kind of like our own graphic novel or or like or like cartoon thing where it's like the the adventures of Night Owl and Morning Dove. <laughs> I'm the one with coffee. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, so we really, um, I, and you've gotten particularly bad since January. Like, yeah, your, it's, yeah. Your, it's, your, my bedtime has has creeped up dramatically. Like, if I nine o'clock's pushing it. If I make dinner late, <laughs> speaking of distribution of of household activities, if if I'm like, you know, I'm feeling dinner at like seven, there's a good chance Andrew will fall asleep before dinner is done. <laughs> it happened not long ago. I had to wake him up and be like, here, eat the calzone. <laughs> oh, that was a good calzone too. Man, so um, good. But yeah, uh, I find that, that uh, email is the ultimate bane of my existence. I like a year ago found myself in a situation where I was getting about 200 a day and most of them had to be replied to immediately. And so I often find that I'm chasing other people's wants and needs throughout the day. Um, and part of that is, is, you know, the number of university emails that we get. And part of it is this, the amount of work that I've committed to. Um, 
But another part of it is, you know, we've gotten more aggressive as a society over email <laughs> and digitally. Let's just say digitally. It's not just email. Um, we've gotten more aggressive in the past couple of years. And so very few emails are like, hi, it's lovely to talk to you. I have a favor I need you to do. It's more often like, hey, where's that thing? And I find that emotionally draining. Hmm. And so I have put more restrictions on when I allow myself to answer email. It does not come to my phone anymore um, because I found that intrusive to the creative time that I needed. Um, and very few people need to get a hold of me so quickly that they can't wait a few hours. Um, and if they do, then they probably already have my phone number. Mm-hmm. So I put um, bigger restrictions on when I'm willing to answer that. And I also find that if I'm working in the middle of the night, then nobody emails in the middle of the night. (laughs) And so I don't have to worry about, um, you know, kind of the emotional (laughs) rat chase that is email in 2018. Is this the last question? It is. Oh. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so uh, I think I think this is a question from Twitter. Uh, so so do you ever listen to music together just to listen, or mm. do you find yourselves analyzing it? Oh, huh. I'm having a hard time remembering the last time we listened to something together that wasn't on a road trip. Yeah, that like wasn't in the car. You know what I found most surprising about moving in together was that we don't just sit around and listen to music. Does this go to your sound bubble kind of thing? I think so. Yeah. Like, we actually live in a very quiet house. Uh, with the exception of the cats. And that's only like twice a day. They have they have cat hour in the morning. They have cat hour in the evening. They rampage through the house. It drives us both crazy, but they need an outlet for energy. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean... Um, when we speak to each other from across the house, we don't speak loudly. That's very true. And I think um, we have sometimes shocked people with the the ability, <laughs> the hearing abilities. If I say your name from two rooms away, you are already listening. Yeah. And you respond. And I don't need to shout at you to get your attention. Most of the time, I don't need to shout at you. I mean, yesterday, the printers were running and the TV was on and you were folding and binding and and I was like, hey, (laughs) I'm in the middle of a problem. (laughs) Um, You know, so there is occasionally that, but on a regular basis, you know, it is not uncommon to have total silence in the house for over an hour. Oh, yeah, easily. Um, And so we, in fact, I like it that way. (laughs) I really like it that way because with, all of the sound that occurs outside with all of the um, uh, noises and sculpted sound that we work with on a regular basis. To be able to have an hour of quiet time in an otherwise hectic world is magical. And so we don't often listen to music without a specific purpose in the house. Mm. We do have cleaning music sometimes. Uh, we do, we do, and and of course, uh, if we're entertaining, we we will have music on, sort of, to add to the ambiance. Um, but your I, last choice was really weird. I don't remember what you put on, but I was like, really? Hey, hey, medieval French 
court song. I don't think that was it. The courtly love song? No, I'm pretty sure that was... Was it not the last choice? Maybe that was the time before. There is nothing wrong with medieval French courtly love songs, okay? I think, okay. Yeah, it sets, the, it sets the mood for chilly night. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I think I find that I create playlists for specific purposes, either mm-hmm. to calm down, to like to 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 work myself to the point of silence, because sometimes entering a silent space is not always great. If you've been amped up after a while, mm. like silence can actually be a, a violent change emotionally. Yeah. Um, and so I do have a couple of playlists that are like, OK, you need to calm the bleep down. Um, whereas uh we're we're when we're listening together i think we still have like the kind of work song mentality Mm -hmm. you know we've got some some rhythmically driving stuff to like get the house clean but we're not specifically paying attention to it i think our our listening lists our our discovery of new musical information tends to happen when we're on our own on our own or or sometimes in in the car it depends on what it is uh i mean on long road trips we we tend to we uh, did a uh, Beethoven Symphony Marathon once. It was amazing. From Bowling Green to Philadelphia. From yeah. Bowling Green to Philadelphia. Yeah, it was like all of the all of the Beethoven symphonies. Just, Conducted just by because Leonard Bernstein. The Bernstein recordings. Yeah, that's so right. So I'm really shocked we didn't get a speeding ticket. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> um, this well, past Thanksgiving, we did Sweeney Todd. That was a bad idea. Oh, like, murderous rage. <laughs> I embodied Mrs. Lovett there for a little while, stuck between Rochester and Syracuse, New York. <laughs> Just bad decision. Um, but, but you know, I mean, the, the CD of, of uh, Jean-Michel Goury's, uh, uh, you know, that's the crazy saxophone music that he does. Or saxophone the, and piccolo. La, saxophone and piccolo, that's right. Or, or uh, Benjamin Boone and uh, Stefan Putz, uh, their, what was it, that transatlantic uh, yeah, collaboration yeah. CD or Latitude 49 that, that mm-hmm. we just got. I mean, uh, we, we use that an, as an opportunity. One of the only places that we have a functional CD player is still in the car. Uh, well, maybe that's maybe that's something to do with it. Um, but no, I find that uh, the the confined space of the car ride and that fixed amount of time, it's like that's a mm-hmm. that's probably where we have most of our joint listening for for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know if I find that I am analyzing uh, uh, while we're doing that, but it is a time for new experiences, I think, <laughs> uh, for better or worse. Um, <laughs> Is the theme to this podcast? Oh, for better or worse. Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, that's that's cute. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think so. So you, when you're doing analytical stuff, you tend to tend to do it on your own. In in your own space. Sometimes I don't know. I think. uh, Well, we did a. I did a presentation for our composition studio last year, on a study piece. And a, and a concerto that resulted from the study piece by... Um, oh, the Fagerlund. The Sebastian Fagerlund, yeah. which we've talked about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Mana, um, yeah. Mana and the study piece for it, which was wood, Woodlands. Um, and I feel like we did a bunch of listening for that together. And it's not like we haven't done any listening together. I mean, like just a couple of weeks ago when Lock and Mon... Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Uh, what, uh, what is March that? March Fatal? Is Maybe? that what it is? I don't know if that's what it is. Well, I thought it was. You look it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do we do some, and I don't think it's necessarily analytical. I think I think we're pretty good at 
identifying a function for our listening purposes. And for the Fireland, obviously, I was presenting on it, and, and I wanted to talk about some of the big structural moments. But um, but for the Lock and Mon, I was like, hey, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. March Fatal. Ah. Um, He's Dory. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> But I think we had for a period of time in grad school, uh, we, we set aside time on the weekends to do like score study. Uh, yeah. and, and you reminded me that that may have been part of the comprehensive exam preparations and things. But I mean, we have we have done a thing where we're Actually, like, those okay, were, those were more like drop the needle tests. Yeah, I would run a drop the needle test for you once a week. Oh, nice. You don't remember? No, that, that sounds terrifying, though. <laughs> <laughs> so hard on those <laughs> you don't remember oh. i think you owe me chocolate <laughs> i probably do i probably do yeah yeah well so, this has kind of been fun yeah i mean we just we just actually we just like touched on the idea of compromise which i feel like somebody else brought up too like um artistically or other um yeah marriage Oh. The marriage side of it, not artistically. Although we've done that too with regard to... Because we, we've collaborated on pieces before. Once. On piece before. <laughs> Once. <laughs> it will probably never happen again. There were some good things that came of it. That's cute. You think so? Uh... <laughs> no, it was. It was a really good concept. Um, we just, you know... We'll work on our execution. Uh, yeah. I don't think we could agree on a set of rules <laughs> that we're both happy with. Yeah, I think in the end, our collaboration was, we're going to do this thing, but separately. <laughs> you do page two, yeah. four, and six. I will take three, five, and seven. Don't talk to me. <laughs> uh, no, but the idea that, like, you know, every every relationship... <laughs> Takes you. Done. Um, every relationship is give and take every relationship involves meeting in the middle and part of the oddity of being a married pair of composers is that um i don't know whether composers are often made to compromise as much as you need to in a marriage Ooh. huh like we we marry people outside of our discipline we marry out people outside of our specialty well not all of us of course cuz no. again several notable examples of well, composer couples yeah yeah no but that's but the, that's what i'm saying is like when when you have a career that's built on or has been for hundreds of years built on com- competition mm. where do you find the compromise in that yeah and for us it's been finding different audiences um, but that's also kind of how we, you know, we were, I'm going to put quotes around this that you can't see. We were raised to think that way in undergrad because our, uh, faculty, our primary faculty member was not interested in raising a bunch of competitive, um, composers who hated each other. Our community was very much built on you write different music than the person sitting in the chair next to you. Embrace that support it when they have good things happen as tough as it is sometimes to deal with your own defeat it's it might be the best day of their life so far yeah and if you can't if you can't celebrate that for them then you're not a good friend right and so that element of it is why i don't think we ever thought this was weird 
We didn't think it was weird until people were like, that's a terrible idea. Why would you ever marry a composer? Well, and I think perhaps part of the that reaction is, of course, to the mentality of um, a job market, if there is such a thing, uh, for for composers and the fact that, oh, you have two people that are trying to search for these opportunities um, in, in a single household. But I think, you know, that's, that's also, um, it's not like we're blind to that particular fact. We've, we've sort of tailored some of our own mm-hmm. uh, career trajectories in response to that, yeah. that happening, that circumstance. Yeah, we were, we were not quite aware when we started grad school that it would be next to impossible for the two of us to get tenure track jobs at the same university. And if you think about it, it has nothing to do with who's a man and who's a woman. And that doesn't matter. <laughs> There's usually only one tenure track job in composition at any given university. If at all. If at all. And so to compete for that same one. Yeah, no, there's no way we could live in the same town and do this. And so I am far more interested in um, in administrating and being uh, an administrator for small organizations um, than I was in getting a tenure track position and serving on committees. And I mean, I'm fine at advising, but I don't know whether I would make... Uh, I don't think it's my my be all end all <laughs> goal mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to advise twice a year. You know, I'm right. I'm I'm built for different things, and so I chose to not get a doctorate, not because I didn't want one. I still want one, partially because all of my friends have them, and that's the worst reason to get one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I repeat over Keep, and over and over. Keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> as, as, as I as I sit here without one, you know, it's it's. There, there, that actually comes back to another competitive element. Yeah. You have one. Many of my best friends have them. I know that I can keep up with you guys, but it's not where... It's not the most valuable thing for me to go get one. In fact, it might even be detrimental since mm-hmm. I focus on entrepreneurship and administration and t- I teach those things too. Um, nobody who teaches entrepreneurship needs a doctorate in it. In fact, some people don't even think you need an undergrad in it. <laughs> um, there's, it's still wildly debated. So, so yeah, we did. We've done things that you know make it easier for the two of us to earn an income under the same kind of title. Yeah, composer. Well, I think this has been a fascinating experiment. Good, I'm glad. I hope and, somebody else agrees with you. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> like all things, we we do it and put it out into the world, and mm-hmm. it has a life or it doesn't. Huge thanks to everybody who contributed questions. Otherwise, it would just be the two of us rambling for over an hour, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to that. I well, yeah, would we call that interesting? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have plenty of complaints about your socks, so like, that's... that's <laughs> My sock choices are standard. What can I tell you? They're very, very meticulous. <laughs> There's a large debate about novelty socks yesterday. If anybody wants to send him some to see if he will actually wear them, I can provide, I can provide an address. <laughs> well, I think that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, folks. 
adjective blows that out with music. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.